From the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life. I'm John Schuck. Religion for Life explores the intersection between religion, social justice, and public life. Here's a Jeopardy question. Famous philosophers for 100. This famous philosopher said, If you bring forth what is within you, what you have will save you. If you do not have that within you, what you do not have within you will kill you. Uh, who is Plato? No, sorry. The answer is, who is Jesus? Whoa, Jesus said that? You won't find that in your Bible. Nope, you have to go to one of the extra books that contained sayings of Jesus, the Gospel of Thomas. And we are going to explore that gospel today on Religion for Life. My guests are uh, two professors of religion uh, who will be in East Tennessee, particularly at my congregation at First Presbyterian in Elizabeth on October 18th and 19th for a Jesus Seminar on the Road. And they are Milton Moreland, uh, who earned his Ph.D. at Claremont Graduate University. He's Associate Professor of Religious Studies and Director of the Program in Archaeology at Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee. He's the editor of Between Text and Artifact, Integrating Archaeology into Biblical Studies. Uh, his uh, other publications include two edited books on the sayings of Jesus. Also with me via Skype is Ruben Dupertuis, uh, also a graduate of Claremont Graduate University, uh, assistant professor of religion at Trinity University in San Antonio. He is the co-chair of the Ancient Fiction and Early Christian and Jewish Narrative Group and a member of the Steering Committee for the Bible and American Popular Culture Group, both of the Society of Biblical Literature. They are both fellows of West Star Institute, popularly known as the Jesus Seminar, and they will be in the Tri-Cities October 18th and 19th for a Jesus Seminar on the Road to discuss the fifth gospel the Gospel of Thomas, and the Wisdom of Jesus. They're both speaking with me via Skype, Dr. Moreland from Memphis, Dr. Dupertuis from San Antonio. Welcome to both of you to Religion for Life. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Great, good to be with you. And welcome in advance to East Tennessee. I'm excited that both of you will be uh, at my congregation October 18th and 19th. I'm looking forward to a good turnout. This is an exciting topic, uh, the Gospel of Thomas and the Wisdom of Jesus. I I'm not sure how well known the Gospel of Thomas is. Uh, so just to be safe, can you give us an overview of this Gospel, what it is and how it was discovered? Sure, I can start. Um, this is Milton. Uh, really looking forward to being with you there in East Tennessee. Um, I know it's a great group, a lot of lively discussions, a lot of uh, real interesting conversations to be had. So the Gospel of Thomas is an amazing text, 114 sayings of Jesus. Yet they are a little bit different than the sayings that we typically hear um, in the canonical Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you've never read the Gospel of Thomas, some of the sayings will sound really familiar. They'll sound like the canonical Gospels. But some of them are quite distinct. It's an early Gospel, so it was right in the mix with all of the other Gospels. But clearly it was one that didn't get included in the canon. And so we'll be talking about where it came from, um, a lot of the 
interesting content, including the material that's not in the canonical Gospels, the material that's special to this particular Gospel, and talking a lot about kind of the, the place that it comes from as a um, specialist in archaeology, I'm going to be talking a lot about the different settings where early Christians were and groups like that that collected the sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas. And Reuben will be able to bring a lot of insights from a uh, text um, and kind of literary perspective um, in our conversations. Uh, Dr. Milton Moreland, uh, just speaking of uh, Rhodes University, uh, talking about the Gospel of Thomas. Well, what, you mentioned that it was early. What is the estimated uh, date range uh, for this Gospel? I, I can jump in. This is uh, Ruben. The, uh, dating is a tricky thing, um, <laughs> but uh, certainly some of the sayings are early, and some people have dated it as early as 50 or in the in the second half of the first century. Some people dated a bit later than that. I think it's fair to say that at least uh, a third, well, a third of the sayings have parallels in the synoptic tradition and uh, that is in the New Testament canon. So uh, it, it's fair to say that, that a, a good bit of that is certainly early. Um, and beyond that, it's, it's, it's harder to get specific. Yeah, so does the Gospel of Thomas then contain sayings uh, of the historical Jesus then? That's a great question, and one of those very difficult ones. Clearly, it is as compelling to make the argument that it, that is, the Gospel of Thomas contains sayings of the historical Jesus, as compelling as to say the Gospel of Mark does or the Gospel of Luke does. Mm -hmm. So it's not unusual, of course, for people to say, Jesus said such and such, according to the Gospel of John, and connect that to the historical Jesus. Um, this text that we're reading comes from that same period, right. comes from um, people who were likewise interested in Jesus as a uh, figure, a giver of enlightenment, a bringer of knowledge, of gnosis. And although the sayings are a little bit different, um, certainly many of them, many scholars have, have argued that they um, should be considered as we talk about things that Jesus may have said. So related to that question, then, does the, this gospel tell us anything new about the historical Jesus or the communities uh, um, around him? I, I think one of the things it tells us is that there was certainly a community that um, thought enough of the sayings of Jesus and of Jesus as a teacher to preserve a collection that is really nothing but teaching. Uh, and that tells us something about, uh, certainly about the early Christian community that began to collect this, that there, there isn't uh, really much narrative at all. Um, uh, there are some linking narratives, but really it's, it's an emphasis on the teachings, on the words of Jesus. Uh, and that certainly tells us something about, uh, <laughs> about the community. I think uh, another way to look at this, and it's a, in a sense... Uh, Another answer or related to, to what Milton recently uh, or j just now uh, stated that um, one place to look at what's in the, uh, see what's in the Gospel of Thomas is to look at the similarities with the other Gospels. And for example, if you look at some of the parables, uh, 
there are parables that are in Matthew and Luke and in the Gospel of Thomas. And the version of the Gospel of Thomas is a little bit different, but it's no more different than the version of the Gospel of Matthew from the Gospel of Luke. So all of them are different. And one of the challenges from a historical standpoint is which one is earlier. And I don't know that we can rule out necessarily some of the formulations of the Gospel of Thomas. And, and clearly some of the sayings, this is Milton, some of the sayings are just fabulous and somewhat wacky, but also really powerful in their thought and in the way that they make you think. Well, here's uh, a wacky one. Tell us, uh, we'll, we'll play Stump the Scholar here. Tell us what this one means. Jesus said, saying number two, those who seek should not stop seeking until they find. When they find, they will be disturbed. When they're disturbed, they will marvel and will reign over all. And then after they have reigned, they will rest. What, what does that mean, especially that reigning part? Yes, yeah, fantastic saying, because clearly it draws you in with some kind of common sense, but then it, it, it tricks you a little bit. It, it uh, leaves you wondering, well, did I really understand what that was saying? Uh -huh. Did I really get that? So not stopping your search makes sense. So seek, um, don't stop until you find. But then when you find, usually that's like, cool, I found something great. In this case, Jesus says, when you find it, you're going to be disturbed. And so there's a sense that whatever you find is not maybe what you expected. And the Gospel of Thomas has a lot of these sayings that um, kind of set you up for something and then drop you off the cliff into an abyss. In this case, I think what they find is they find some truth about the reality of the world, at least the way that, that this Jesus is, is portraying it. And that is that the physical world that they thought was real, this body that they have that they thought was real, is in fact just an illusion or maybe just death. And if you really want to find life, then you have to overcome or, or find it someplace other than in the physical world. So there's a real um, kind of link to what in ancient philosophy we'd call a, a Platonic uh, way of thinking, some, some um, Platonism here, and a dualistic system of the body versus the soul or versus the mind. And um, it's real interesting to think of this group grappling, this group of early Christians grappling with this notion that the physical world all around them is not true. It is not what you should be seeking. So when you find the truth, you're disturbed for sure because your reality is shaken. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guests are Milton Moreland and Ruben Dupertuis, uh, professors of religion. They will be in East Tennessee October 18th and 19th for a Jesus Seminar on the Road discussing uh, this interesting gospel, the Gospel of Thomas, which was discovered uh, along with some other documents in Nag Hammadi, Egypt in 1945. And uh Talking about that a little bit, they've been lumped under the rubric, all of these Gospels, under the term Gnosticism, and some say that they are texts that reflect a, uh, an early Gnostic heresy. However, 
Uh, some recent scholars like Karen King at Harvard have said that Gnosticism really isn't helpful. Uh, she wrote in her uh, book, The Gospel of Mary, uh, that the term Gnosticism does not belong to impartial historical description. And I was kind of wondering, what, what is your take on that? Is the Gospel of Thomas Gnostic? Is Gnostic a good word? I, I, I think <laughs> this is Reuben. Uh, uh-huh. I think that Gnostic uh, can be a helpful term at times, but it can also mess things up, partly because it's freighted with a very long history of use. And part of what I think uh, Professor King is reacting to and why she challenges the term is is as much the ways and what that term has been asked to do, which is to sort of hold a whole set of Gospels that are then clearly heretical on one side and sort of put them in a fence, and that's clearly off limits. And one of the challenges is that if you look at the material that often gets grouped within this, uh, uh, under the, this heading of Gnostic, there are striking differences uh, between different systems we might call Gnostic. Um, and certainly that's the case with the Gospel of Thomas. Are there similarities with some of the other texts that some people consider Gnostic? Certainly. But is, is it enough to say that it, it's really Gnostic? And I think one of the dangers also of the term Gnosticism used as such is that it makes it an ism. It makes it a system. And it's not clear um, from the evidence that we have that this was actually a system or a, or a, a movement in, in, in that way that was any, in any way systematic. There are ways of thinking. There are, there are patterns of thought. Um, but Gnostic, I think, uh, and certainly Gnosticism certainly overplays that. But for my own reading of uh, the Gospel of Thomas, and Milton mentioned sort of the importance of Platonic influence. Mm-hmm. I think neo Neoplatonism and Platonic influence on this community is uh, certainly is probably more important to see first. Neoplatonism and Platonic influence is also central to what we call sort of Gnostic <laughs> gospel. So does that mean it's Gnostic or it's influenced by Plato? And where along the lines uh, would you place that? So it certainly is. It is a challenge. Um, to, to say exactly, but I, I, I think we're better off being very careful with the term Gnosticism. You know, well, you know, in the flyer you talk about, and, and, and the lecture you explain how the Gospel of Thomas, uh, quote, challenges just about everything we've assumed to be true in the story of how Christianity began. And, of course, the idea that there was orthodoxy and, and there was a little too Greek on one side, a little too Jewish on the other, and just perfect in the middle. Is that the kind of the story you're challenging or that Thomas uh, helps us to uh, reconsider? Definitely. All the evidence from early Christianity stacks up against that real simplistic way of thinking about how Christianity began. Rather than it being a real straight line from a single group and then a few little heretics here and there, some people who disagreed here and there, but everybody got along from the beginning, what we know from all of our evidence is that there wasn't a unified sense, a unified idea of what it meant to be a Christian. And so there's a lot of distinctions. There's a lot of grappling. One might compare it to the modern world with Christianity still being a very lively and fluid type of religion where lots of different uh, differences coexist. And so to imagine that Christianity didn't have a lot of people grappling is... um, kind of silly. 
uh, all of our techs are grappling with each other. They're, they're kind of jostling with each other over big ideas. And texts like the Gospel of Thomas give us some really interesting insights into a very popular form of Christianity. It later got called a heretic or a heresy, but in the first and second centuries, this was a, a part of the lively debate about what uh, Jesus meant um, and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And the people who were responsible for this gospel had every um, intention of, of, you know, being honest to Jesus, just as the author of Luke or the author of Mark did. So I agree with Reuben. We can't exclude this gospel. We've got to put it in the mix and see what it does for our reconstruction of what first and second century Christian origins was like. I, I, I think one of the things it also highlights is the regional differences, right? We can talk about the diversity of early Christianity, but one way of thinking about them is that um, what we call the Roman Empire and often look at uh, as a sort of a one-color map is really underneath that a lot of sort of regional differences and nation, uh, sort of national nationalities or, or, or different ethnic identities and, and ways of, of understanding and long histories and languages. So, so what this allows us to do um, is to take a look at a particular community, uh, but this highlights the fact that this community spun in a different direction than others did. Um, doesn't make them less Christian. I think it just makes them the kind of Christians that they were. What do we know then about uh, this community, uh, where it originated and who would have embraced it? Uh, and, and does it any, have anything to do with the gospel or the disciple Thomas, who is mentioned in the canonical gospels? The, that latter question is, is interesting and kind of on point because we do have a series of texts and traditions that get associated with a figure named Thomas or a few figures named Thomas or folks um, associated with uh, that tradition in, in Syria. And so um, Syria looks like uh, one of the places where we could um, learn and kind of situate, learn about and then situate um, Thomas in um, some of the cities, some of the areas um, kind of on the Roman border of the Eastern Roman Empire, um, and not far away from where a lot of interesting and kind of tragic events are happening right now. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we'll be talking about Syria, we'll be talking about Galilee, and we'll be talking about Egypt, where the texts were actually found. But uh, they were found in a later translation of Coptic. Um, we know from other fragments of the Gospel of Thomas that actually much earlier than the Coptic version, other versions of this existed. And so um, a lot of scholars place that in, in and around um, a city named Edessa. And so we'll be looking at that city in one of our presentations. 
Milton Moreland just speaking. He and uh, Professor uh, Ruben Dupertuis will be attending uh, our Jesus Seminar on the Road October 18th and 19th at First Presbyterian Church in Elizabethton to discuss uh, the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, this presentation, of course, open to the public. And the Gospel of Thomas is really uh, just a loose collection, I guess. I don't know if loose is the right word, but a collection of sayings of Jesus. There doesn't seem to be any narrative. Is there a structure of any kind or some uh, thematic element, elements that go through it? Um, what, what kind of Jesus is shown there? Am I asking a number of questions, maybe in one? And what's his message, if there is one? I, I think that th- this is Ruben. I think one of the things that uh, scholars have looked for structure, uh, as you would naturally <laughs> do when you pick up a text, and it's been difficult to find a very clear structure. I think it's important to note that it, it, it emerges a, as a collection of Jesus' uh, sayings. Um, that said... I think that you can, certainly the sayings at the very beginning, and the one that you mentioned in saying two, um, there are a cluster of them at the beginning that become very important um, as a way of introducing a kind of pattern or an ethos or a way of being. And there are also, I think, some some themes that hit on, get hit on, that get raised at the beginning, hit on in some of the sayings, and then appear in a kind of cluster at the end. So I think you can look at the beginning and ending as sort of grouping sayings that, 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 that were important to the collectors and the people who, who, who transmitted these. In the middle, the closest thing that m- most uh, scholars have been able to find is uh, often keywords linking uh, sayings. So catchwords that, that link a, a set of sayings or a metaphor that sort of goes across uh, a set of sayings. But um, beyond that, it's, 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 hard to, um, it's hard to find a very clear pattern, but then that becomes an interesting finding in and of itself. You know, there was an interest, a couple of, uh, one of the sayings in is number 97, that I believe the Jesus Seminar gave it a pink uh, reading, saying it might have likely to go back to perhaps to Jesus, but it isn't in the other Gospels. It's the parable of the woman carrying a jar full of meal, and while she was walking along a distant road, the handle of the jar broke, and the meal spilled behind her along the road. She didn't know it. She hadn't noticed a problem. When she reached her house, she put the jar down and discovered that it was empty. And Jesus says the father of the Father's kingdom is like that. What is is was that Jesus? Is that Thomas? How, how do you know? How do you tell? What is that parable about? <laughs> Good question, John. Um, so we're not going to be able to answer the question: Was that Jesus? But okay. we can we can speculate and we can bring our our scholarly prowess, if you will, to bear on this. And clearly it plays, in my mind, with some real strong themes that we see in the Gospel of Thomas, that is kind of emptying out, uh, being emptied, that the, that the physical, what was in the jar, actually disappears. And that the kingdom of God, the, the Father's kingdom, is an empty jar. And then you think, well, what does an, what's an empty jar metaphor good for? What is it trying to get at? And clearly, in my mind, it again goes back to this um, body-mind dualism where you have the body really being empty, that the body is, is meaningless. And although this woman kind of accidentally spilled it, um, in the end, it's, it's gone. And that is truth, that the body does um, go away. And so what is left is 
truth, is um, real meaning, is real knowledge, according to this group. So again, it's kind of playing with that sense that if you put all of your eggs into the physical basket, the, the physical body as being important, then you're really missing what the world is all about, according to uh, Jesus here. So real interesting parable. Interesting that it, it kind of sounds like parables you might be familiar with from mm-hmm. the canonical Gospels. But once again, it throws us a little bit of a curveball um, and um, kind of takes away uh, what we expect and puts something else in there. So it's not finding a jar full of great stuff. It's finding an empty jar that actually matters and that actually gives you a lesson about what the world is like. We're just about running out of time, but I do want to ask this question. Uh, people who, who might be uh, listening to this program, and I'll include myself into this, of looking at the Gospel of Thomas and saying, well, now, what what about, what does that mean for me today in the 21st century? What, 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 what might we get? Uh, what's the significance, uh, perhaps, of the Gospel of Thomas or some of these other uh, documents that we're finding now uh, for practice in life today? I think I, there are lots of ways to get at this, and I want mm-hmm. Milton to jump in here too. But I think one of the things that we can uh, do, uh, I, I don't know if it gets us at truth with a capital T better or or less better than, uh, than some of the canonical texts, but taken collectively, these all become ways, uh, I think reading them, we can, we can participate in the centuries-long process of trying to understand from our various perspectives uh, and to uh, try to understand um, something deeper and something true from various standpoints. And, and it's enriching, I think, to be able to tap into voices that were lost. They, they highlight the fact that nobody has a sort of a corner on the market, um, even though uh, people have attempted to sort of suppress some voices. Uh, what does it mean to 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 uh, uh, try to find the kingdom in this way? Several of the examples you you mentioned really have to do with, I, I think, that finding the kingdom and and God isn't exactly what you think it is, right? And the element mm-hmm. of surprise and and. Do, would that make sense for a certain type of people at different points of time? And I think we can, it's, a, it's an exercise for me of, of reading in community, <laughs> but this community now happens to include some voices that have been lost, and I can learn from them. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Duber-Tweet, what do you think, uh, um, Milton, do you want to add to that? Sure. The, the reading and the study of any ancient text can be valuable, I think, as we relate it to our own experience, as we struggle to identify with humans 2,000 years ago who were struggling with similar problems in many ways, struggling with, you know, trying to think about what the world was really about. You might say kind of existential questions. Um, In the Gospel of Thomas, we see Jesus, this Jesus who is speaking these 114 sayings, we see him grappling with, um, you know, what does it mean to be embodied? What is going to last? What is truth? What is the light? How do you get to God? How do you reconnect yourself with the divine? And so this Jesus is really grappling with these questions. I think a lot of people still grapple with those questions. That's why for a lot of people, the, the Gospel of Thomas has actually been um, quite refreshing 
and quite revealing as a way to kind of think about um, how to reconnect with a divine spirit. Um, and so, yeah, I think Ruben and I are really excited to present it and to kind of work through the sayings and work through the settings uh, where this was from and the history of its discovery, which has only been, uh, you know, about 70 years. So it hasn't been with us very long in the modern world, but it's made a huge impact on how we think about and how we re reconstruct um, how Christianity began. Milton Moreland and Ruben Dupertwee, my guests on Religion for Life. They will be uh, live in uh, Elizabethton, Tennessee, October 18th and 19th uh, for a program Friday and Saturday on the Gospel of Thomas. Details can be found at religionforlife.com. Thank you for uh, the program, and thank you for uh, giving us a little bit of a foretaste here today on Religion for Life. Looking forward to being with you. Milton Moreland and Ruben Dupertwee will be in Elizabethton to talk about the Gospel of Thomas for a Jesus Seminar on the Road, October 18th and 19th. More information at First Presbyterian Church's website, fpcelizabethton.org. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC, Emory, Virginia. Be well.